Stories podcast. Welcome to the first episode in a new season of Travel Stories Podcast. It feels good to be back, man, and we've got a whole bunch of new stuff for you. I want to mention right off the bat that you can now visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash backpackdigital. There's a whole bunch of exclusive content and opportunities and whatnot. You can learn more about it at patreon.com slash backpackdigital. On to today, King of Phillips is an adventurer currently living in Malibu with a fascination for all things aquatic, as well as many other passions which we dive into. Just realized that's a pun, let's try not to acknowledge that. We actually get a little angry together about a topic which was actually quite fun. King hosts the wild side with King of Phillips on the Travel Channel and has so many interests when it comes to travel that this interview could have carried on for a further few hours. King is my type of person. It was awesome. So let's get into it and join our conversation with Kinga Phillips. Awesome. So you're in California, right? I am in usually sunny, but today very rainy California, yes. <laughs> nice. And you're close to the beach? I am very close to the beach. If I had a strong arm, I could probably throw a rock at the water, <laughs> which is how I like it. Oh, of course, of course. You're an ocean fan, right? I read that you're a big fan of the ocean and everything kind of to do with water. Is that right? I am indeed a big fan of the ocean, of all the critters in there and the salt. And um, it, it's, it makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird one, man. Isn't it weird when like you think about the ocean, it's like it's kind of like the vastness of space with like all these different aliens in it and it's right there. <laughs> you know, if you had a strong arm, you could throw a rock at it. You know, it's right there. I think it was Joe Rogan actually that once said that if you saw some footage from like the moon or Mars or something and there was something that you'd find in our oceans on that screen, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I expect of aliens." There's some weird things in there. Well, you know, they always say that we know more about outer space than we do about the deepest portion of our oceans, which is incredible because I could walk down the hill in two minutes and stick my feet in the ocean and to think that there are things in there that we have yet to discover and that it is so mysterious and vast is is really thrilling. I think that's part of the reason that I love it. That's the craziness of it. It's kind of like the like the snow leopard, you know? <laughs> Ah, elusive. <laughs> the elusive snow leopard. That's what makes it so interesting. You know, if there was, if every time you walked out your front door, there was a snow leopard, you're like, oh, damn snow leopards. <laughs> I think there's so much truth in that. I think as humans, we just naturally gravitate towards things that are mysterious, that are maybe a little frightening because we don't know everything about them. And we love that. We're, we're explorers at the end of the day. So to have that right in our backyard that covers the vastness of our globe, I think is, is very exciting for us. Yeah, that's right. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we're drawn to those things that we that we don't know much about? Do you reckon it comes from the side of like wanting to learn and progress ourselves and find out new things? Do you reckon it's dopamine based? Do you find out new things, you get more dopamine? Why do you think it is? 
You know, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think we love mystery and we're fascinated by what we can't explain. I think our brains like to try to wrap themselves around things that we don't fully understand. So we pursue them. I mean, if you look at if you look at human history, everything from things that, that have terrified people over the ages, like witches and vampires, to the explorers that would set out in the times when they thought the world was flat and there was a chance that they would fall over the edge, they still went because that drive to learn and that fascination overrode the fact that they might possibly die and fall off our planet. That, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> it is. It's a really weird thing, that drive to just go into the unknown. And I don't know, I'm just thinking, do you reckon that, I mean, there are lots of different reasons for travel. There's lots of different reasons people set out to go travel, but this has got to be one of the big ones, right? Because, I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, I don't know, go skiing and you, you could just go, depending on where you live, you could go a couple of towns over, you know, if you're in, if you're in a place that has skiing. But I think there's something about going somewhere where you don't know anything about it. Maybe it's the learning about it that kind of propels you there you know do you reckon do you reckon travel comes from this feeling Absolutely. And I also think that there's something, I think one of the most dulling things that can happen to us as humans is routine. And like you said, even if it's spectacular routine, if you walked out your door every day and there was a snow leopard sitting there day one, you'd be like, oh my God, by day three, four, you'd be like, hey, snow leopard. And there's really something fascinating in that. So the idea of going somewhere and seeing something that like ignites this fire in you simply because it's an attack on the senses in in its form of newness is really 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 exciting. Now, there's a game that I used to play with with my executive producer on, on one of the travel channel shows that I did, and he would stop me in the middle of what we were doing, and he would say, "Go right now, tell me about your five senses." And I would have to stop everywhere I was and and tell him what I was seeing, feeling, hearing, tasting, and it really like made me so present, and it was awesome because it made me realize that every place that I was, I, my senses were being inundated in a different way. And if you travel outside of your regular routine and your senses experience something different, if I sit in Malibu and I get to look at the ocean every day, that's beautiful. If I go to a glacier in Alaska and my senses experience something totally different, there's something that goes off inside of a person that is just fat, fantastic. I mean, it's, it's magical, if you will. Wow, that's so well put. So well put. And I love the thing about the senses at any one moment, just saying, think about your five senses, every single one, and think about how they're feeling. That is awesome. And it kind of, it brings me back to this thing. I've talked about this with a few people now. And so me and my friend were in, uh, we were in India, right? And we had this feeling or we were, we were trying to explain this feeling and give a name to it. We couldn't give a name to it. We couldn't explain what it was. But have you ever had this feeling, right, where you're in a place, you're, you could be traveling in a place, you could be in some weird, ridiculous place, you know, in the Arctic, in the ocean, wherever, right? And you, you come into those five senses, just like you were being told to before. You come into those five senses and then you realize I'm here at this very moment. It's very hard to put into words, but you like in that example of me and my friend, we were we were walking down this road. The moon was right there. We were on this in the Himalayas, just walking down the Himalayas. And in that moment, I was like, how did I get here? Like this makes no sense. How am I here? It's very hard to put into words. Do you know what I mean? 
I know exactly what you mean. And we should come up for it for a good term for it. I call it perfect moments. It's those moments where you actually, I feel like almost your soul stops and looks around and goes, holy moly, this is unbelievable. Like you said, with this moon overhead and you're in a new place and you're probably smelling things that you don't normally smell. You're seeing things. It's, it's that, it's that, you know, it, your senses are being tickled in a way that they normally aren't when you're in your usual space, you know, waking up in the morning and you have the same smells of coffee and you go outside. There's also something to be said for, you know, they say that your olfactory sense, your sense of smell is your strongest memory inducing sense. And I bet you that if you ever took yourself back to that place, it would take you back to that moment. When I land in Hawaii, there's a smell at the, even at the airport in Hawaii that automatically, like all my memories from all the times that I've been there come crashing back because it's such a unique scent, smell of that place. So there's really, our senses are designed to keep us alive. They're designed to keep us, you know, very present in the moment. But as humans, because we, some of us maybe are, are still trying to get out there and explore the world, but in our everyday routines that we have, we don't get to do as much of that. So I think when we do get to do it and we take notice of it, those are those perfect, really special moments. Oh, man, I know exactly what you mean about the smell as well. Like every time I'm in an airport, I always go to like, the you know, the perfume bit where they're like where the yeah. ridiculous priced perfumes that I don't know who buys yep. it. But uh, yeah, every, <laughs> yeah. And uh, every time I go there, I always go for this one perfume, right? I think it's a Ralph Lauren run. But three of my ex-girlfriends used to wear it. So when I smell that perfume, I get the first wave of, ah, oh, I remember her. The second wave, ah, oh, I remember that one. Ah, oh, I remember her too. And it's these memories come flooding back and every single time I'm in an airport I do that so now the weird thing is the smell isn't just connected to those girls and those experiences and that time in my life but now it's connected to the feeling of embarking on adventure which is a really weird thing it's weird but it's not it's it's exactly what we just described that's so yeah. neat yeah, true, true. So now I guess if I ever meet anyone that's uh, that's wearing that perfume, I'll be like, yes, you are the one. <laughs> you are adventure. You are <laughs> airports. Yes, exactly. With, with that said, you know what I've actually started to do is when I go on a trip that I know is going to be really exotic and amazing and significant, which I hope all my trips are, is I've started to bring along something, whether it is um, like a, an essential oil or some kind of interesting scent, whatever it might be that I can find. And I bring it with me and I use it on that trip because what I found is that now when I have it at home and I want to have a recollection and a memory of that trip, all I have to do is I have to smell that. I have this great um, bug bug essential oil, like insect repellent that I wore all through Belize. And I love it because I had such a great time in Belize that every time I take it out of my medicine cabinet and I smell it, it takes me right back to the jungles of Belize. And it's the neatest thing. It's exactly what you just explained, except instead of a girlfriend, it's, it's the jungle. Oh man, this is, I've been trying to, trying to put this into words and trying to tell people this for years now. So like there's, uh, there's this company called Lush, right? I don't know whether you have it in the States, but oh, yeah. yeah, you do. Oh, cool. Well, they do these kind of these shower bars, you know, you use them for your hair and everything. Right. And so they've got like maybe four or five different ones. And I had one of each of the well, I guess you wouldn't say flavors, but one of each of the flavors uh, for for each kind of country I was in for a little while. And so one of them is just like, mm, that is Indonesia. The other one, oh, that is Vietnam. And I know exactly what you mean. I think having that that thing and smell, uh, again, going back to that the strongest sense, having that thing that you can just smell and go... 
ah, just get taken back to that place. That is so beneficial, I think. I think everyone should do that. That's awesome. I think so too. I absolutely think so too. If there's if there's one thing people take away from this conversation we're having is I hope they start to do that because it's actually a really neat thing to do. <laughs> yes. We need a name for that too. We need a name for that too. <laughs> a list of things we need to come up with names for. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so going back to something you were saying actually about routine and if you saw the snow leopard every day, it'd be like, ah, it's just a snow leopard again. So from the uh, the wild side on Travel Channel, right? So before mm-hmm. before learning about this, I, I just knew the wild side as a Motley Crue song, but uh, <laughs> which is which is so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a great tune. It's a great tune. But <laughs> one of the uh, one of the big things I get from this is that you kind of like to not only challenge yourself but keep on kind of stepping up what you do, like a personal growth type of thing through travel. Like always, kind of. It's kind of like that routine thing. If you went to, I know you go into different countries, but if you went to a different country and did kind of the same thing, like you stayed in a hotel and then you went out and, I don't know, surfed, yeah, that's cool. But I think, does it get into that routine thing again? Maybe you have to go out and be more adventurous on the next adventure and go and do not more crazy stuff, but different things. Does does this make sense? Absolutely. And and I think is what you hit on is the word different. You know, there's a Jack London quote, quote that I love. And if I was into tattoos, I would probably have a tattoo of it, but I'd much too of a commitment foam to have that. But it says, um, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow than a sleepy or permanent planet. Uh, the f- proper function of man is to live, not just exist. And I've always loved that so much because it's that final line. The proper function of man is to live, not just exist. And there is a really big difference in those two words. And it means different things to different people. For me, living is experience and and pushing myself. And I'm not by any means, you know, an adrenaline junkie. I know those people that, you know, want to take the risks and, um, uh, you know, do really, really crazy stuff. And I like that to a degree. I like, I like calculated risk because I want to continue to live with all my limbs and body parts. But one of, um, one of the greatest quotes that I've heard from someone who I know is a professor in college in journalism. And he said, if you're not in over your head, you're not in deep enough. And that's always been a really fun thing for me too, because I think I've I've made a career and a life out of just saying yes to things. And by no means am I good at all the things that I go out into the world and do. I've been asked to, you know, kite surf in the Virgin Islands, where I think my team didn't really understand that kite surfing is something you need a lot of practice at. And I ended up getting dragged out of boats and bruised and and really looked the fool, but it was really, really fun. But that's that's exactly it. Is anything that is a new experience that that pushes me a little bit further. I, I love great stories from people. I have a background in journalism. So to me, to hear people's experiences and stories is an experience of a sort itself. To go and try something and and do something physically, whether it's it's free diving or or surfing waves, they're a little bit out of my league for the first time and sometimes the last time probably won't do that again. Uh, Those experiences are kind of what make the world go round for me. And there is a bit of when I'm sitting at home in my house, which which I love, and I, I love Malibu, and I love Southern California, but I do end up with a little bit of like fear of missing out on life. Because to me, the greatest moments are the moments spent doing something new. So uh, that's, that's where I push myself and those experiences and what we talked about, those senses, trying a new food, having a new conversation with someone who I haven't met before 
seeing something spectacular, seeing a sunset over the sunken churches in Lalabella, Ethiopia, after you've been up for 35 hours and all you want to do is sleep, but you would rather stick toothpicks in your eyelids to keep them open than miss that sunset because you know you'll probably never get a chance to see that again. Those to me are the experiences that make life spectacular and really define that difference between living versus existing. Oh, so well said. So well said. I love that. And I love the quote as well. Living rather than existing. That's awesome. And I think yeah. I think everyone kind of in their own in their own way is chasing this living rather than just existing, right? But I think maybe it takes a little bit of that I don't know what the word would be, but in order to go out there and try these things and do these things, knowing that you could, you know, if failure is an option, knowing that you could fail, knowing that you could potentially perish <laughs> and all these other things, I think it takes a little bit of something to put yourself in these positions. And even after, say you fall down, it's, it's, it takes a little something to get back up and try the next thing. So for you, with this, with this want to go out there and experience these things, have you always had that drive? Is it something that's always been in you and you were born with? Or has it been something, you know, when you were a kid, do you remember having this same drive to go do stuff, regardless of if it's a negative consequence or not? Or did something happen and kind of bring it on? Do you remember it all? I think it's a little bit of both as far as the drive that that pushes me to go out and have these new experiences. I mean, I was very fortunate to grow up with parents who were adventurers and explorers. My dad is a geologist, and he spent most of his time traveling the world and, and going on expeditions. So it was kind of ingrained in my sister and I from a very early age that that was the way to live life. And, you know, we have all these funny stories from when we were growing up of when my family moved from Poland to the United States, and we didn't have a lot of money. So most of our travel was done in our big blue van and we would road trip instead of flying places and we would stay at KOA campgrounds and I wouldn't trade that for the world. But my dad was a photographer and he would love to document everything. So one of my favorite memories from growing up is that the best way to experience wildlife from up close is when it was dead by the side of the road. So we would always pull over when there was roadkill and for size comparison, my dad would make me stand next to it. And I have all these fabulous photos from when I was a child standing next to run over coyotes and run over snapping turtles and raccoons and possums. And it was, you know, comical, but it was at the core, the spirit of experience and adventure and seeing something new that, that my parents really ingrained in us as kids. And then as I grew and started to travel and explore on my own, I realized that for me, that was very much a, a driving force. And that was what, what made me feel very alive. You know, to like you said, to some people, it's different. To some people, going to a mall and buying themselves a really nice purse or buying themselves an expensive car is something that makes them feel very excited and alive. I, I don't, to me, that, that doesn't matter. And it's not that one's better or one's worse, but I would rather go out and, and find a new flower that I haven't seen before and stare at it for 20 minutes than, than go buy myself something really expensive, you know, a piece of jewelry. And it's, it's a, it's kind of like you can put it on a scale of what means more to a different type of person. And I guess if we were all the type of people that wanted to go out and take photos of ourselves next to roadkill or stare at flowers or go free dive to see if you could push your own limits, the oceans would be full of people free diving and, and the side of the road would be full of people staring at flowers. But instead, there's a variety of people in the world, and they they choose their experiences according to what means the most to them. And that's, you know, part of what makes this world so, so interesting. There are different types of us. 
Yeah, I think you totally hit the nail on the head there. It's like everyone has this this drive that we're talking about, but I think it's pointed at, in different ways, in different directions. Like you say, some pe- for some people, it's you know buying the next thing up and progressing financially and progressing in life. And that's you know if that's where their where their drive is pointed, then that's absolutely fine, obviously. And for some people, it's pointed towards travel. For some people, it's martial arts. It could be it could be anywhere, but it's I think it's in essence the same drive because it's experiencing and living rather than existing but it's just pointed in different ways i think you bang on with that absolutely right yeah. absolutely yeah. hey guys nicole's here to give you a little shout out as you may or may not know backpack digital's got our very first novel available right now that's right right the heck now and i'm the one who wrote it it's called venus following the journey of a young woman who feels trapped in the same old town she grew up in longs for something more sounds familiar doesn't it you can check it out at backpackdigital.com. Oh, sorry, I've got to go. I'm like collecting my Pulitzer, and I can't have them give it away when I just learned how to pronounce Pulitzer. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Now, uh, I read that you have a bit of a fascination with history, as, uh, as I, I do. do myself. Now, this Ooh. must this must like really come alive when you're traveling. This is something I found as well. All the things like you've you've read about and you've imagined and you've always heard about are suddenly there in front of you. <laughs> Have you felt this? A hundred percent. You know, p- part of the reason that I kind of took the career choice that I did in journalism was because I wanted to experience and I wanted to hear stories and I wanted to tell stories. There was a show that was on years ago. I, I don't know if you remember. It was called Quantum Leap. And it was about a guy who was trying to get back to his own time and space because he was a scientist and he had been sent off somewhere and he would jump into different people's lives. And I remember watching this jaw dropped and thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I want. I want to be so many different people and I want to do so many different things. And in reality, you can't quite do that. And I tried, I had seven different majors in college, but the reason I went into journalism is because I thought, oh man, that's the way that I actually get to quantum leap and I get to see all these different places and tell all these different stories. And history is such a big part of that. I mean, there is, if you are a history lover, if you're a history buff, to go stand in a place like Tel Megiddo in in Israel, you get like funny little chills throughout your body and you almost have like a little movie playing in your head of what it must have been like. If you go to, to Petra or if you go to these sunken churches in Lalabella and you hear the stories and and whether it's, you know, I love folklore too. I think it's, it's super fascinating. The origins of it are, are very intriguing to me. But there is something that goes off in you that is like this spark of just holy moly, I'm standing in a place where so many cool things have happened. Absolutely. That's, uh, this is so weird because that's another thing that I need a word for. This is another feeling <laughs> that I need a word for. And I remember, I remember the, one of the first times I had it, right? So, so I once, uh, I broke into, that sounds bad, but I broke into the ashram that the Beatles was, uh, stayed at in Rishikesh in India, like back in the 60s. Yeah. And, um, and it's like this little kind of village. There's like a little post office or post box, you know, it's this little hippie village. It's real cool, but it's all like run down and empty and stuff now. So when I was there, I, I got this, this weird feeling, the same feeling you're describing, which I still haven't found a word for. Like, I know the things that went on there. I know the history that took place, even though it's recent history. And I am there. I know the exact feeling, but we need a word for it. <laughs> we need our own dictionary. We've, we've defined a lot of things that we need specific words for. <laughs> yes. But that is, that's another one of those feelings where 
it's it's really hard to put into words. It's because it, it really is a true feeling. It's something that you feel. It's not even like like it makes you think things. It just makes you feel things. It's really hard to categorize. <laughs> it is, and and you know, there's there are a lot of different ways to approach that. One, it's our own mindset of people who are fascinated with history and knowing that history. There's something really exciting about being in a place where where so much has happened. In another way, someone else can look at it if they are of of that mindset that there's an energy in those places where the, you know maybe that energy has permeated that area and and you feel it when you're there. I mean, there are so many different approaches to that, but that feeling is definitely something that's very powerful and very cool. Mm-hmm, you're right. Yeah, a lot of these things can, uh, they probably have names already. And they're probably in the, the kind of spiritual side of things, they would give them, you know, names and everything like that. So I don't know, maybe I'll look into that, try and get some yeah. names to these things. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would, please tell us about and I love the name for this, Shark Allies. That is one of the coolest names for anything I've ever heard. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I just like the idea that you're just allies to sharks. It's like, yeah, I got your back, man. You know, <laughs> I love we got that. your back, sharks. Yeah. We got your back. We got gotcha. you. Um, yeah. So, shark allies is something that I actually feel very lucky to get to participate in. And essentially, shark allies, to kind of give you a one liner about it, is an organization designed to protect our oceans and sharks. Um, the fun story is uh, how I came about to be a part of it. And that is because Stephanie Brendel, who is the founder of Shark Allies and is a mentor of mine and someone who is just incredible in the world of sharks and conservation. She actually in 2010 was one of the spearheaders of one of the first bans on um, the sale, trade and possession of shark fins in the world. And that was in the state of Hawaii. And she is just the neatest human being who has dedicated her life to conserving sharks. And the reason I came to know her is because years and years ago on Shark Week, they did this really cool thing where they auctioned off shark experts on eBay. And apparently they only advertised it once. And I was the only person who saw it because I very excitedly went on eBay and went, oh, this is so cool. And I bid on the opportunity to meet all these different shark experts. And Stephanie was amongst them. Well, because no one else knew about it, I ended up winning all these different shark experts and donated a lot of money to shark conservation because that's where it went. I also did not read the fine print because it said, make sure you only bid on shark experts in your area. And I bid on everyone from South Africa to Stephanie, who was in Hawaii at the time. And I won them all. So I just sent them all emails going, oh, hey, if I'm ever in South Africa, I guess I'll take you to lunch and we can hang out. And, uh, you know, most of this never happened. And then I think three years later, I thought about it and I thought, hey, where's that woman that I won on eBay? And I emailed Stephanie and said, I won you on eBay. Uh, or, you know, do you ever come to LA? And she said, I'm actually in LA right now. And I went, great, I want to take you to lunch, you know, feeling, feeling this, this uh, ownership over this person who I had won on eBay for a couple hundred dollars. And we ended up meeting here in Malibu for lunch. And I just wanted to pick her brain about sharks. And I, I had just always followed her conservation efforts and thought she was the coolest. And from that one meeting, we became really fast friends. And she told me all about shark allies and how she was really thinking about moving it to Los Angeles because there are so much more potential to expand it here. And I went, yes, do that. So she moved to Los Angeles. And now there is a group of us. She actually lives down the street from me in Malibu. And there's this group of us that really dedicates our time to creating awareness around sharks. And then on the back end, having as much action oriented, um, like an action button on the end of it, because we truly genuinely believe that the two things that sharks need is 
a change in the way people see them because it is really still shocking in 2017 how people see sharks as these man-eating monsters and bloodthirsty killers and uh, are, are scared to step into the water because they still really believe in the story that is Jaws. And then on the back end of that, you know, sharks need a lot of protection. They need a lot of legal protection. And there are, you know, still 100 million sharks that are being killed every year, about 70 million of them for shark finning alone. And to create awareness around that, but to also design programs that stop that from happening is very much what we are focused on. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't think that I would ever have someone on the show that said, yeah, and then I went to meet the girl I won on eBay. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> I never did either, but her and I laugh about it all the time. And it's just such a great story. You know, I because it. I always think like, oh, gosh, you know, you founded this organization, you became a part of it. And I'm like, no, I want her on eBay. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So uh, shark fins, I, I, I must admit, I don't know much about it. So what, what exactly do people do with shark fins? Why do people want them? I've never I never thought, hey, I'm going to get a shark fin. Do people eat them? Do people use them for things? Or what happens? So shark finning is a practice that is um, mostly designed for the purpose of putting them in shark fin soup. And this is a practice that continues in Asia because there there is a belief system you know, there are a lot of endangered animals that are unfortunately eaten in Asia for a variety of reasons. And some of it is tradition oriented. And some of it is because they believe that they give you medical benefits. Now, shark fins are eaten because it's a shark fin soup is a status symbol. And they have it at a lot of um, formal events like weddings, um, at business dinner dinners. Now in China, they have actually um, banned it from official state functions, which is really, really wonderful. That is but good. it does, it is good, but the practice continues there. Um, the unfortunate thing about it is that if you look at shark fin soup or you taste shark fin soup, you have no idea that there's actually a shark in it because the fins are dried and they are, um, cut down into something that looks like glass noodles and they're made of cartilage. So they actually have no flavor. So you could be eating glass noodles and it's completely flavorless. So there is really no need for there to even be a shark fin in that soup, but because it is a status symbol that is why it is why it is used so you know the practice itself is incredibly brutal it is a practice of catching a shark and cutting off its fins and throwing the animal alive back into the ocean where it dies it's um it's horrible actually and for it to be done on such a scale as as 70 million 100 million sharks a year is terribly tragic because we're looking at animals that mature slowly that don't reproduce as quickly as many other animals. They are apex predators that are necessary to the health of our oceans. And for them to be overfished at the rate that they're being overfished, there is a tap out to that. You know, there is an end to that. You, you can actually eliminate these animals from the oceans. And that is incredibly unfortunate. So for that practice to continue, for overfishing of sharks to continue in general is, um, is incredibly tragic. 
Man, one of the only things that really actually makes me angry is stuff to do with animals, like animal welfare and everything like that in general. It's Same. Man, it's one of the things that it's maybe one of maybe two or three things that I genuinely get angry about. I mean, I've been vegetarian for, you know, a number of years now. And like, oh, wow. it's kind of, I don't know, it, none of it... It doesn't seem to make sense a lot of the time. Like like you were saying with the with the shark fin soup. It's like, what is the point, man? What is the point? And it's like this shark has to give its life for some guy to go, hmm, yes, shark fin soup, very good. It's I feel really good about myself now. Oh, I feel so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I don't know. It gets to me, man. It gets to me. And I've always been that guy that uh, like, for example, when I was living in Australia, I spent, I can't remember how long it was, but every morning, wake up at six o'clock, go to the, the dog and cat, what was it called? Like a refuge kind of place, mm -hmm. like where they'd, you know, get taken and just look after them and feed them and do all this stuff. And that, that kind of really, that was a big kind of drive in my life. And I think that drive that we were talking about before that drives people to go out and have adventures, that drives people to buy the new purse or whatever, I think that drive for me is kind of pointed towards that. I think, I think, I don't know. It's, you got me all angry now. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. You know what? That's, that's that awareness is. that yeah. is boiling up inside of you. And I think that is a great place for that energy to be pointed. Mm. And I agree with you. You know, I sometimes laugh that I enjoy animals more than I do humans. Um, same, same. <laughs> it's not just shark fin soup because I feel like, and I know I exist in a bubble of like shark experts and conservationists. And so I feel like everyone knows about shark finning, but a lot of people still don't. But even below that, if you go look at some of the products that a lot of people have on their shelves, but in, in beauty products, there's an oil called squalene. It comes from sharks. In um, some supplements, they use shark products. And we're not just talking about like what products that you'd find in Asia. We're talking about products that are right here on the shelves in, in stores. In, in the US and the UK. And that's that's where I, I really like to push people to research and um, educate themselves. Because it, to me, it seems obvious if you're going to a place like Cambodia and you see an elephant, I, I mean, it, it, to not know that that animal is, is more than likely not being treated as well as it should be, uh, it, it just seems like really blatant ignorance. But I understand that a lot of people still just don't see that. But it's a whole nother level when you really start having to be a CSI investigator and see what's actually in the product that you're eating and using that could be doing a lot of damage to the world. Yeah, that's it. It's like it's it's not like this the ignorance of the people that's not like their fault in a way. You know, it's right. not like they're bad people and they know that this animal is being hurt and they're doing it anyway. Exactly. They just don't know. They just don't know. Exactly. And that's, you know, why in Shark Allies a, a big part of what we do, we say awareness and action. Like we we need to put the word out there. We need people to want to do the research on their own. We want people to be aware of, of what's happening because I want to believe that people are at, at the core good and they want to do the right thing. So you just need to give them a little push in the right direction. Mm, well, I love it. Well, we'll put all the Shark Allies links in the show notes as well. Yay. Oh, that makes me happy. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of all over the world as well. You know, you've got the bullfighting. And then one of the things for me is I can tell if someone's the same type of person I am, and that sounds weird, but has has similar values for if they have or if they don't have a picture of them with a sedated tiger. Like that is one of the things where, I don't know, I don't yeah. know too much about it, but it, to me, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm uninformed about it. Maybe they love it. 
but well, I think you're you're actually it's the opposite. I think you are informed about it, and that is part of as shark allies. Like I said, we try to create awareness, and there are wonderful people working all over the world. And whether it be tigers, or whether it be elephants, or whether it be domestic animals that are being saved off the street, you know, part of what people need is to be informed. And I think a lot of these tourists that go to these areas. Now, I was in Cambodia, and they were having um, elephant rides at Angkor Wat, and the tourists love it. They think it's the neatest thing to get on this elephant's back and ride around, but they don't scratch the surface. They don't research how these animals are treated, where they, where they are taken from. That to me is, is really tragic that people don't take the time to see where these animals come from. And, you know, to, to answer your question, I know that you were, you were being sarcastic, but no, those, those tigers (laughs) do not like being sedated and held by tourists for a photo. And I agree with you that if, if I were to ever to walk into someone's house, what I do when I walk into someone's house, I always look at the books that they have on a shelf. And that tells me a lot about a person. But if I was to walk into someone's house and they had a photo of themselves with a sedated tiger on the wall, I would, I would probably highly likely walk right back out because it is a level of, of ignorance that I don't really find acceptable. Agreed. Agreed. Man, this has been an angry interview. I've never done one like this before. <laughs> I'm not an angry person. I'm a really nice person. Yeah, same. I never get angry. Treatment. I Can you edit this to make me sound nice, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So final question. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Well, I think we've, you know, we've covered so many bases. If there's anything that that I want to put out into the world, I think it's a lot of what we touched on. It's the experience of going out and having those magical moments and stepping out of routine. Um, also, you know, since we touched on animals and you touched on shark allies, I I would love the idea of people going out and educating themselves on um on the welfare of wildlife across the world and taking note of how their behavior and their choices affect that. So I I love love the idea of people researching and learning and becoming aware of of what's important in the world and especially when it comes to animal welfare. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Well, this has been awesome. I'm th- like even though we got kind of angry, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I feel like we've run the gauntlet of emotions because we were very happy. We were very excited. We came up with, you know, some some fun connections on words that we need to come up with for the magic of travel. And then we we really kind of covered the other side of things where we got very angry about animal abuse. So <laughs> we covered a lot of bases. Agreed. Agreed. We need to cover more, uh, cover more emotions. We need to be sad. We need to be envious. Let's do that one. <laughs> I'm envious someone that is in warm water right now somewhere in a tropical location (laughs) agreed agreed (laughs) right then this has been awesome thanks so much for coming on it's been really fun thank you so fun what a what a good time (laughs) yeah great stuff so i'll speak to you later then thanks for coming on thanks hayden to hear this guest story Check out the other half of the episode, available now. Stay inspired by subscribing to Travel Stories Podcast.